Hello and welcome to another exciting, and I know you know what I'm about to say, it's a jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. Today, it's a little bit of a stretch there with the rhyming, but I think we made it work. Enough. Enough. I want to say, first of all, thank you to Dan Ketman, and I hope I'm saying your name right, for the very nice donation and the nice note. He said, thanks for a great time. Enjoy listening to the back catalog. If you guys ever feel so inclined to go and make a donation, go to moderndayphilosophers.net and uh, make a donation, and I will thank you on the air, unless you tell me don't, and then I won't, but uh, I thank you very much, Dan. It's appreciated, and it helps a lot. I got a little baby, and it goes a long way. What else is going on, you may wonder? Well, I will tell you. The baby's four months old now. I started writing some jokes about being a dad. I tried them out for the first time the other night at a gig. They went well, I'm happy to report. So that was good. First uh, new material in a little while. I'm just wrapping up a documentary that we shot five years ago, uh, but uh, should be coming out soon, hopefully. It's about going to Spain and tracing my Sephardic roots and doing stand-up. And uh, it's like a concert film documentary type of thing, and it's really cool. Brought to you by Stand Up Records, the awesome Stand Up Records and Dan Schlissel, who I'm always very grateful to for believing in me and letting me do cool stuff. And then we're going to start on another documentary, which I won't talk about yet, but I'm very excited about it, and hopefully you guys will get to see it soon enough. We also got some great new comments on the iTunes with five stars, and as I always say, you post them, I'll read them. So the first one comes from Destiny57, January 20th, 2020. 2020, 2020, And they wrote, very entertaining. Boom, five stars. I was looking for a podcast that would entertain me at work. I work alone most of the time, so it can become pretty boring. I came across this podcast, and I love it. I love the deep conversations and the imagination of the comedians to make me laugh at the same time. I also like how it's long episodes, because when you're at work for a long time, it makes the day shorter. Wonderful job. P.S. Congrats on the baby. Thank you very much. And I think I did read this one last time, but what the heck? I read it twice. Why not? Here's the next one. Listened to your show for the first time. Bam! Five stars. From MaxCraft430, January 31st, 2020. Entertaining and humorous. Thank you very much. I was sent here by Community News with Paul and Sasha podcast. Never heard of them, but that's very nice of them. Uh, if anybody has a clip of them uh, mentioning this, I'd love to hear it. Both of your podcasts are really great. Would love to hear you do one together. That would be a trip. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know them, but uh, never know. That could happen. I, I, I'm grateful to them for sure for mentioning this. It's very nice of them. Thank you very much, Paul and Sasha. This next one comes from, duh, February 8th, 2020. And they wrote, fantastic. Boom. Five stars. Daniel Lobel is fantastic. He is an excellent interviewer and a remarkable, honest communicator. Well, thank you. Thank you, Danny, for bringing me joy. I love listening in on these conversations. Well, I love being in on these conversations. Look, you know what I mean. I like it. I like doing it. I like that you like it. It's nice that I can do this, and I appreciate the love. I really I really do. Uh, so join the movement. Leave five stars and a nice review, and I will read it. I will read it on the air, and then you'll be famous. Boom! Five stars. Boom! All right, everybody, what do you think? Should we get this thing rolling? Ashley Blaker, Ashley Blaker, 
Ashley Blaker is a religious Jewish comedian, or you could just say a comedian if we don't need to do that kind of thing, but I guess we do because, uh, you know, if you're a religious Jew, uh, you know, it gets called out, man. He dresses like a rabbi, as is talked about in the podcast. He's a funny dude. He created one of the most popular shows in British television history, Little Britain or produced it, or created, produced it. You'll hear about that. And he worked with all kinds of people like Joan Rivers and other people who aren't Joan Rivers. Anyway, listen, this episode is pretty fun. We recorded it last year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, and it's coming out now. There's a little bit of an echo because the apartment was echoey. All right? Deal with it. Hey, I'm bringing you international comedy over here. And a guy's got an off-Broadway show right now running in New York, and I mentioned the details for that at the end. But uh, go and check him out. Support the man. Go see him. He's funny, he's unique, and I like him. All right, everybody. Without further ado, except, of course, for the intro song, my talk with the wonderful Mr. Ashley Blaker. Oh, no, he kind of elongates his words. I'm trying to do it enunciates his words Blaker Mr. Ashley Blaker Alright, you'll, you'll hear it. Enjoy! When Daniel LaBelle was in school He didn't pay any attention He's older and wiser He's learning philosophy with his comedian hench People Each of whom is a wonderful sage In their own right as well It's modern day philosophers and now here's Daniel LaBelle. All right, I am sitting here with the wonderful Ashley Blaker in my Edinburgh flat. That's what an apartment is called in the UK. Why is it called a flat? Um, to annoy Americans who don't kind of confuse them and go, what's, <laughs> what's a flat? But where does that come from? Do you, do you have any idea where that comes from? Um, I'm trying to think of make something up but no I, I genuinely don't i'm sorry right i'd like to be but, but hang on, where does the word apartment come from then uh, I, I think apartment sounds like compartment i don't know if it comes from the same kind of you're just like living in a compartment but you don't want to call it a compartment so you call it a, an apartment an apartment right yeah okay um flat i don't know but uh yeah we do call it a flat yeah yeah all right well here i am in this flat with ashley blaker and we're both doing the edinburgh festival and uh, we've been friendly for some time, mostly by email, um, but it's been nice getting to hang out with you yeah, this likewise. summer. Uh, so let's learn about you. Okay. Uh, I learned a bit about you from watching your show. You're doing a show here called Observant Jew. Mm -hmm. And you talk about, this is what I got roughly from the show. You used to be a TV producer. You wrote on the show Little Britain. Produced, produced. You produced yep, it. Yep, okay. Yep. Uh, you produced the show Little Britain, and you were you were big into football, as That's in right. UK Soccer, football, yep, yep. yeah. And uh, and then you got sucked into religion. Yep. And became a very religious Jew. Yep. And still work in television sometimes. Sometimes, but I, I, I mean, I'm pretty much almost exclusively stand up now, so I don't have time for anything else. Yeah. And you host a show on BBC Radio here. I have my own comedy show as a performer. Yep. Okay, so the story, the the version of your story from the show is, 
that you went to synagogue mm-hmm. and the rabbi said, we need people. And he got you to come the next day and the next day and the next day. And you were hooked. Basically. But that I'm is sh- exactly it. That is almost is though. Exactly. It. I mean, that sounds like a, a, a comedy show because that is a comedy show, but it, that is almost exactly what happened. Well, it, that might be what happened, but let's examine the catalysts of what got you there. Right. Exactly. Let's analyze my, flawed psyche of how, how i allowed that to happen well i'm not gonna what call it a childhood flawed, flawed psyche but let's find what out what childhood I'm, trauma did i have that let, allowed this man to do this to me t- tell us about your childhood <laughs> what where did you where did you grow up for for yes yeah, so i grew up in london and i was you know the truth is i wasn't like in it wasn't the most secular upbringing you know we did go to synagogue so i think i had all that latent stuff and i had my, we weren't like super observant either, but um, we were the kind of home where you, they didn't really have this so much in the US. The US is much more, um, people are, are much more polarized. You're either religious or you're not religious or whatever. In the UK, the vast majority of people are, are kind of more what they call here like traditional, United Synagogue traditional. It, it, it kind of, this world doesn't really exist in the United States. Uh, jury anymore and it's so it's a world where you would go to synagogue on a saturday morning and then you would in the afternoon you'd go to the mall mm-hmm. or you'd watch tv and they, that that kind of that world doesn't really exist in the united states i don't think so much but so that was the world i came from i did as i talk about in my show i was very into soccer and i used to just follow i was so obsessed with the football team i support that i would go around seeing them on every you know on saturdays on Yankee how old Paul. were you in my 20s mm-hmm. my early 20s late teens early 20s uh but as i talk about in my show i i, I have an incredibly flawed um personality where i have this kind of all or nothing kind of but obsessiveness of course you and, don't really think it's flawed right that you're saying that oh in no just oh no no i clearly no no i do i do no 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 i do think it's flawed i'm not saying about it in terms of the judaism but no it is it is a real personality flaw i've got this flaw that like it is a kind of all or nothing obsessive i think that's is it a flaw i don't know it, but it's no question it's a, a trait of mine so it manifested itself in it manifested itself in soccer because i was going to every game it's not like i'm not the kind of person who would just kind of go ah oh, just go to the home games i go to Big, a few big away games. I need to go to every match. I'm good. Like I was doing Europe. I was a preseason friendlies. I was everywhere. Um, I don't know what a preseason friendly. They play is. so like before the regular season starts. They'll like uh-huh. be playing like friendly games, like just to practice. You know? uh-huh. And okay. uh, they do like tours in the United States now. They'll go to like uh, mm-hmm. they'll play uh, games in Yankee Stadium or whatever. Um, and I'd go. I'd just do everything. And in the same way, I'm not the kind of. It would never be enough for me just to go to synagogue like once or twice a week i have to go to do it all i have to do the absolute like the most extreme extent all or nothing kind of guy i'm all nothing guy if i was muslim i'd i would be the i would probably be the um the guy flying the plane basically (laughs) (laughs) oh do they fly i don't think they fly Uh, no i mean only for a little while anyway yeah yeah. i'd be you know seriously like i i'd be the like i'm i'm i would be ripe for being um what, what do they call it um uh, uh, fundamentalist yeah like no, yeah, yeah. Uh, radicalized, radicalized 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 that was the word I was are you a about. radicalized Jew? i could be i would be i would be <laughs> well, i say in the show thank god i never went to drugs yeah because i'd be the biggest cokehead in the country so I, so it manifested itself in in football and it manifested itself in judaism it How manifested else? in other stuff as well yeah so i'm curious what else in my life everything i've ever been into I'm, and i see it with one of my sons my son's really uh, is my fourth son is exactly the same, and he's like a, so into dinosaurs mm-hmm. to the most ridiculous extreme. And then 
like just no, not interested in that anymore. I'm now into Lego. So what was just the first? What was the first thing? Me, Even going back before oh, football, Star Wars. I mean, I think the first one for me was Star Wars, definitely. Like, mm-hmm. I, and to the point whereby there were people. There was a, a friend of my parents who nicknamed me Star Wars. They was like, "All right, Star Wars." Like okay. I was that because I was that kid who was like, "It's not enough to just like Star Wars. I have to know everything and every." But then it was Doctor Who. But you're a bit older James than me, Bond. so were you? How? I'm how old were? You? Yeah, so you were. When Star Wars. When Star Wars came out. So Star Wars. So the first film I saw was I saw um, I saw Empire Strikes Back in the movie theater, uh-huh. and uh, I'm translating. I just want to. I want listeners in the United States to appreciate that we call it a cinema, but I'm just going to say uh-huh. movie theater. Yeah. Um, and um, that's what. I've just done a five week run off Broadway. So I, <laughs> I do it in my this. show here so too. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So basically uh, I saw Empire Strikes Back in 81 when it came out, I would have been six. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Star Wars not long after I think on, on TV. Okay. Um, so did you grow up in a big family? Do you have siblings? I have one brother, who's an older brother. Who's, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Four and a half years older than me. Is he also like that? No, not at all. Okay. And when are, you, are your parents like that at all? Not really. Um, no, not really. I think my dad's got a few of those traits, uh, but not in. But it do, it manifests itself in other ways. It doesn't like manifest itself in the way that like it does with me. Like yeah, so with interest, I was really into rap mm-hmm. in my in my really yeah yeah seriously in a really big way. Like, like who were your who are your guys? Well, uh, so again, when I, this was like when I would have been thirteen, fourteen. So like we're talking late eighties. My absolute favorite ever were Boogie Down Productions, Keras One. Mm-hmm. I really like Ultramagnetic MCs. But I bought like, uh, like you're from the West Coast. So in terms of West I'm Coast. Originally rap, from the East Coast. Oh, originally from the East Coast. Okay, yeah. okay. But yeah, so like, but I remember when uh, Straight Out Compton came out, I bought it like when it came out on vinyl. Uh-huh. Like, I had a big vinyl collection. And again, like I, I did it really properly. How did you find like, that really re- relatable as like a Jewish kid in the UK? What they were talking about, how did that... Sh- how did it strike you? Like, well, well, I don't think, yeah, but you know what? I, I know some people would say, oh, it's, you know, sometimes you hear people get annoyed about like cultural appropriation. I'm not talking like about cultural but, appropriation. But like, I'm just I curious, guess, like, just, did you even know what they were talking about? Like, yeah, I think you could, yeah, I could certainly entirely sure I could appreciate it all entirely. But I think there so was certainly, you, there were some good movies at the time. Like, funny enough, I was talking about somebody today. I was talking about, because um, Spike Lee's got a new movie out and I was talking about, do the right thing which is would be in my like top 10 movies of all time i absolutely mm-hmm. love do the right thing and and that was obviously very tied to the um to fight the power the public enemy song and it's talking about like race relations and police and so where that. i'm going so with this is i'm gone. just curious like where you connected to it like i like the music i don't think i i don't there think must be more than that because rap is also a culture it's not just music in fact it's probably less musical than it is cultural so was there some part of you that felt like a gangster? <laughs> like, what, like what? What? I don't know. I don't know. Well, funny thing, I was going to say, I always wanted to be black, and uh, now I keep it in a different way. But then, in, in the American culture, if they did dressing it, in black, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, because seriously, in in England, this is again. I'm not sure whether American Jews use that phrase, but sometimes in in um, the UK, you'll actually hear people say, "Oh, that's a very black neighborhood," and they mean very religious Jewish. Oh really? Seriously, yeah, yeah. So they'll say, "Oh, Stamford Hill is very black." 
Yeah, say huh. black. But what it means, it means like, you know, that everyone is dressed in black. And, so, you know, so why did you always want to be black? I was joking there. So that was literally just connecting oh, yeah. those things. Did I want to be? No, I think. I took it seriously. No, every white kid who, every white kid who likes rap, if you're really into it, right. you have That's to have that element of taking kind of you going, at yeah, face um, value. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I probably did, but um, but no, I really did like rap. Um, so, so, I'm, but in terms of, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I love the Beatles as well, and I don't think you have to be, you have to really understand Liverpool culture to really understand. You know, you have to walk down Penny Lane <laughs> to really appreciate. Like, you know, what I mean, you don't have to be from South Central to understand Straight Outta Compton. I don't think you have to be from Liverpool to understand Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. These are real places, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. But so what? It doesn't matter. Well, I'm just trying to figure out where you were identifying at that point in your life like no i think i don't know if i was identifying but I, i'm just trying to I bring it as an example of some of the crazy obsessions i've had i really was hugely into rap and then and then it goes and then you get hugely into something else and that is what i'm like i i have to know everything about it i have to know everything i have to have read everything mm -hmm. i have to collect everything so why do you think it is that you're like that yeah i don't know to say i, I don't you know. must have thought it, about it a little bit right but that's a person that's just the way you're born isn't it i mean is that not do you not think you don't you're telling no. me that you don't ask why yeah because i think i'm born that way that's how i'm made that's how god made me uh-huh and and so why why did God make you that way? Did you think about <laughs> I that? Want that to, to, I don't know. Why did God make me that way? I don't know. To to so that um the 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 so that a man who ran a record shop in the late eighties in Soho in London <laughs> would have a, a, a living. living. I don't know. I mean, uh, like, do you know what I mean? I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I mean, you got to use, but you got to channel it in the right way. Now maybe you know if you were religious, um, you'd go. Well, at least finally he found a way to channel it in the right way because. Um, really getting really into Judaism, for example, is a, is a more healthy thing, so that person might say, than um, being like super into rap. But I mean, not necessarily, but whatever. Like it's always about channeling in the right way. Some people have got like addictive personalities. I mean, you know, you hear people like, oh, I got like sex addiction or there are people who've got mm -hmm. porn addictions or whatever. And I think there are, I think these things are real because you have addictive personalities. Luckily, genuinely, I've never been a big drinker. I'm not a drinker. I I'd literally one bottle of beer on my first day here in Edinburgh. And I anything. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable in Edinburgh. I don't smoke. I've never been a smoker. I've mm -hmm. never done drugs. Never been interested. So, yeah. So I mean, I've I've the the shame, I guess, is if there is a negative, is that I've spent a lot of money in my life mm -hmm. on my obsessions. Well, what were you going to do but, with the money? Yeah, anyway? exactly. Yeah. What can you do? Exactly. <laughs> so I have like a huge, I had a huge collection of Star Wars figures, for uh -huh. example. You still have and them? Still, yeah, but my children have kind of destroyed them a bit. But, uh -huh. um, you didn't say that. Look, I'll get you other toys. Leave exactly. These Leave yak face. Leave yak face. It's yak face. <laughs> I never had yak face, actually, I should say. Because yak face is super expensive. Well, what did your parents do? What did what for work? Yeah, uh, my mother uh, hasn't worked in my lifetime. No, she no. Was, uh, oh, she never did. No. Okay. And my father worked in in metal. Um, and he's gonna. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Where, it's it's weird. I just think it's just the way you're made. I like there are just some people like that. My brother's got loads of interests. Like he's really into soccer. He supports a different team to me, but he's really into soccer. He's into cricket, and he likes opera, and he likes ballet, which are not things that I'm interested in. Uh -huh. And he likes the theatre, and and he's got lots of interests, but not to the extent like like that's enough. I can just like enjoy it occasionally, so but I can't do that. Did comedy become the thing after Judaism? I always loved comedy, 
Um, mm-hmm. No, I always loved comedy. I was always obsessed with comedy and, and having like having to know who made every show and mm-hmm. know, you know, I know all this, you know, I like a lot of kids who are really into comedy. You know, I knew Python off by heart and back to front and could quote mm-hmm. it all and all those shows. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that was always there. And that's kind of, I guess, one obsession that never quite went away. But you started doing comedy for the first started, time after you Yeah, were- I've only, it's just a really weird thing. I was in, well, it's not technically true. I did actually do a little bit of stand-up when I was 16, 17. Okay. Yeah, and I was performing in the clubs in the UK as like a, right, really young. But, but since then, I hadn't done any performing. I'd just been producing and writing. And then... It, well, the weird thing is, it actually is important to talk about the, the, the me wanting to do it as a, as a teenager because the travel, and I would say, you know what? I was very good for a teenager, mm-hmm. but terrible probably by any extent. <laughs> any, I mean, I'm like amazing. I was getting paid gigs, like, but I must have been quite good for some of that age, but I wasn't really very good. And the truth is at 16, 17, what are you going to talk about? You've got no life experience. Mm-hmm. You haven't got a persona. I loved the comedian Frank Skinner. You know, you know him. No. He's a, a British, very famous British comedian. I, th- I think he's the, the, the best comedian there is. If, if really, um, Frank. Seriously, the, I think he's the best stand-up there is in the country. Frank Skinner. Is he still out there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He, he's not performing. He's got a play here. But um, anyway, I loved him, and I basically just wanted to be him and tried to like imitate him. And what and what is in a, a kind of I suppose again, if you're religious, you kind of want to go. Ah, there's there's God's hand there. If you choose to to view it that way is that I had to become religious in, it's not why I became religious, but I had to become religious in order to find that persona to, and to find something to I find wanted something to talk you about. Talk something about, I wanted to yeah. talk about and a persona, which is a, as an Orthodox Jew. Uh, I hasten that. That's definitely not why I did it. And mm-hmm. it, it, I didn't, it was like 10 years, well after 10 years of being religious, that I went to perform stand-up. Okay, so. Completely so, by accident. It was only three and a half years ago. It's been the most ridiculous three and a half years. Yeah. Literally three and, and a half. I years. want to get to that, but yeah. I want to rewind a little bit yeah. first. So you're you're this obsessive kid, and you're like really into Star Wars and into rap, and then into football, and then you're yep. following around these football teams. How does that turn into you becoming a television producer? Ah, uh, the TV. Yeah. So that was um, again another one of those real, if you choose to look for it, hand of God type things, divine providence. Basically, I was at university. Again, mm-hmm. complete obsession. Not enough for me just to go to university and major in history kind of thing. I had to do a PhD. I had to become like, history exactly, itself. Exactly. I had yes. to do a PhD. I got to do it. Pro- like, yeah. com- like, this again, I'm, I'm, I'm insane, basically. And then I left and I was kind of thinking. But wait what- a minute. Hold on. You don't really think you're insane, do you? Well, there's something. There's something clearly there. Uh- <laughs> I don't know. It's not for me to say. Uh, the the um, there is sort of like this back and forth when you're talking where you're like, I am insane. I'm not insane. I am insane. You know. I think, well, I think I'm, it's look. I'm I'm saying it. I mean, I think it's pretty. It's pretty strange. If you behavior. are insane, then maybe you need to take a look at your whole life and be like, all right, I'm living as an insane person. No, seriously, I mean, there's something. There's something. But as I say, if you if you use it to good, uh-huh. that's not like I've got an obsessive personality. If I was out there, you know, there are people who probably have got similar traits to me mm-hmm. who have become, as I say, drug addicts, um, you know, has for, you know, God forbid, like, you know, abusers or of different kinds or whatever you like hurt other people. 
um, you know, if you're using it in order to do a history PhD and to become a comedian and to be an Orthodox Jew or whatever it is, mm-hmm. then it, at least it's hopefully all positive stuff. Um, so basically, anyway, I left university okay. and I had no idea what to do with myself. I, I, I really didn't. I, it's not even like it's not like I couldn't get a job. I didn't even know what what I could do. And I had a drink mm-hmm. one evening with a couple of school teachers um, who had taught me at high school. And it was a Thursday evening. And one of them said to me, why don't you look in the Media Guardian? I said, what's that? He said, oh, it's the Guardian newspaper. It's one of the big broadsheets here. It's quite a left-wing newspaper, but a big national newspaper. Mm -hmm. And he said that on a, he thought it was a Monday. He wasn't 100% sure, but he thought on a Monday they have a supplement called the Media Guardian. Comes with it, media, and it's got jobs in the media in it. And he just said, why don't you buy it? This was a Thursday evening. Mm Mm-hmm. Four days later, I bought the media, the Guardian newspaper for the first time in my life. And I opened the Media Guardian. And there was an advert that said, do you have funny bones? The BBC <laughs> needs trainee comedy producers. And I applied like on an off chance. And I started work eight weeks later as a trainee producer. Basically, wow. I went straight in at the top. And it's incredible because I literally, four, um, until like four days before, I'd never even heard of this paper. I was heard of the supplement. I'd never bought it before. The advert was only in the paper for literally one week. And I bought it on that day and it changed my life. Wow. And, you know, again, like, and, and amazingly, and then I bought the paper. I started 10 weeks later. I bought the paper every week in those 10 weeks. And I didn't even apply for another job because there was never a job that was even vaguely appropriate. So it's incredible. And, and, and even more incredible then, again, like, let's say, talking about, like, God's hand and what have you. So about a week before I started, I'm walking in Soho down Old Compton Street in, mm. in Soho in London. And um, I bumped into somebody who I was very good friends with at school and 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 after, but who had I drifted a little bit away from because he'd gone to, I'd gone to university, he'd gone off, done other stuff, mm-hmm. whose name is Matt Lucas, who uh, American listeners will know from, uh, he's in uh, Bridesmaids with uh, Rebel Wilson. And, uh, and and you might know from Little Britain and, and, and other shows. And and also a night at the museum? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure he is. He's in Tweedledum and Tweedledee in the um, Alice in Wonderland. Films oh, right, Tim Burton right. Films. Anyway, um, so I'm I'm walking down <laughs> Old Compton Street and I bump into Matt. And he said, oh, what are you doing? And, and he said, you got time for a chat? So we went around the corner for a chat in the Grouch Show Club. And, and, he, and he, he, I said, what are you up to? And he said, oh, me and my... Uh, comedy partner david williams we've just made this short show but it's not coming back nothing's going to happen with it he said what are you doing i said i just joined the bbc or oh, i'm about to start next week i need to get okay. something away and we said why don't, why don't we do a sketch show together and this show became little britain we, we like did the first pilot like three months later and um and it became like the biggest that is this genuinely the most commercial the most commercially successful show the bbc's ever made uh, of a sitcom um Sketch show. I think it's shown in 156 countries. Tour, wow. American version on HBO. They did a show called so, Little Britain USA. So you spearheaded this thing. Yeah. It, but it all happened. But I'm saying it all happened. Not only like was I doing this job like that I didn't even know about until a few days before. I'm meeting somebody who I hadn't seen for three years. We could have bumped into any. We could have bumped in. We live in the same city. We could have bumped into each other anytime. Wow. But we're bumping into each other at the on the days that it's going to make the biggest difference to our lives. So to me, when now you know, it's that's always, a cool I, story. I, yeah, I always I had a cool story. Yeah, like a friend that. of mine, a friend of mine once said to me, "When I hear coincidence, I think God." 
you know, you don't have. It's funny, to, you, you, can, were, you were you saying can, like the hand of God. Nobody ever says anything like the elbow of God, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, like God just nudging you with his elbow. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. I think exactly. you guys should get together. Yeah. So, no, exactly. We so just settled on the hand. The hand. The hand. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. If you choose to, if you, you know, I understand there are some people who will say, "Well, that's just coincidence," but. Wow, there was a lot of coincidences here and they all kind of came off at the right time. So, yeah. Yeah, and then I worked, so basically cutting a, a, a really long story short, but like I then worked in comedy at a high level as a producer producing shows on radio and TV. And I worked because with, of Little Britain. Well, because of, the, yeah, for the next 15 years or so, yeah. Um, so, not so, because of Little Britain, but because let, of that job. And I worked with let, people like yes. me from America, like Russell Brand. I, Produced Russell Brand's so, first TV show. Okay, what show was that? It was a show called um, the the Russell Brand. Um, but I did a I did a we basically brought him to Channel Four. We did a, a pilot with him called Palookaville. It didn't ever go out, but like that was the first thing he did. Um, I did a show. I've worked with uh, John Oliver. Several shows, things with John so, Oliver. What did you do uh, with John Oliver? Uh, James Corden. Like just had him on shows. Just booking him on shows. Like mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and Graham Norton. I used to write Graham Norton's monologue twice a week. So yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. thought you did do some comedy yeah. writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I did a lot of writing as well. Yeah, and I co-wrote shows with Matt and uh, other shows. Yeah. Um, so there you go. We co-wrote a show that's one of the uh, lowest-rated Netflix special originals. What is that? It's a, it's a show which I'm so proud of. And so anyone who listens, go go and watch it on Netflix. Um, but it really divided opinion. It's a show called Pompidou. Um, and it's a kind of semi-silent comedy. Uh-huh. And I think, I genuinely believe it, it's a show that will be reevaluated in the future. And people will come back to it and go, oh, this was actually really good. But it was so divided people. It is so, it's so not what, you know when you make a show that is just completely against what the zeitgeist is? Uh-huh. And people are really into like edgy comedy and whatever. And this is a show that is so not to that. It was like trying to be a real family friendly show. Right. I know kids, my my kids just love it. I mean, not just because I wrote it, but I mean, they, they it's just, it's, it's a real family show. Uh-huh. But people just saw it and just thought, this is horrendous. Right. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but the last three and a half years, I, yeah. I, I, I ended up doing stand up by mistake. Uh, like it wasn't like an intentional thing. Hang on, and you're moving just, the interview forward without and, me. <laughs> and, it just, and the thing is, and the thing is, it's, uh, three, it's just been the most crazy three and a half years. So, yeah. Okay, so so when? How did that start? How did it come about that you started doing stand up? Where okay. were you in your life? Uh, by the way, were you still producing television? Yeah, yeah producing. That's what uh-huh. I've done since 1999. I was producing and writing comedy. That was my full time job. I was at the BBC. I was a freelance for different companies. And I got a call. I got an email one day from a rabbi who said that their synagogue were doing this Saturday night event um, for uh, uh, Jewish listeners or religious Jewish listeners or know the words Malava Malka. It means that it's a Saturday night, basically after the Sabbath. You have a meal. They often have a speaker. They'll let the synagogue will do it once a year as a fundraiser. And he asked me, and they'll have like a rabbi to speak or something like that. And he said to me, we need a speaker for our Malava Malka. Will you come along? And I said, what do you, you know, he'd been recommended me. And I, I said, like, by why? Who? Yeah, by a mutual friend. By a mutual friend that said, oh, this guy, you should contact this guy. I said, but I, what am I going to talk about? I'm not, like, I'm not a rabbi. I've got nothing to say. Uh-huh. And he said, look, I'm just thinking it's really interesting that you work with all these famous people and, you know, you work with Joan Rivers and Graham did, Norton. Did you work with like, Joan yeah, Rivers? Yeah, what, yeah, was that, yeah. what was that A project? British show called, uh, hmm? 
Uh, go on. You Called were a British show called the Joan Rivers Position. I was a writer. What was that experience like? It was crazy. I. It was really funny. Actually, I'll tell you. Um, yeah, I was. Well, what was funny was I got introduced to her. They they wanted me to meet her, so I go in, and she just thought it was hilarious. She'd never seen like she could not believe like this guy wearing a yarmulke and 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 like uh the strings hanging out my trout so my wait pants. a minute you were already where yeah so, yeah i, so didn't I think the timeline time. is i, I before you long were, oh so when you went to talk when the rabbi i okay all right let me let me let me just, let me tell this story and then we'll come back okay um i i became this this isn't that long ago. i i became observant like basically in the early 2000s whatever so it's quite a while after uh-huh. and so i walked in and she just couldn't believe it and we you know we did lots of jewish jokes and what have you but she brought with her this american script writer who she always insists come with and he was like this older l he looked like he'd been baking himself on a tennis court for the last <laughs> his skin was the most leathery skin his skin for jewish listeners his skin would have made wonderful to fill in you could have you could have written a safer torah on his skin it was like parchment uh-huh. and um so we were doing all these like jewish jokes and what have you and and half an hour later this guy we're, we're talking about the script and all the jewish jokes have been put away and this american guy the writer turns to me and he goes so what do you think of this line jew and i feel uh, and he, he kept saying he goes hey jew what do you think and like some and the non-jewish executive producer took him to one side and said look while the Jews, they're, they're allowed to make these jokes with each other, they're not that keen when you join in. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. But she was very nice. I, I, I got very well with her. So anyway, so this, was, this wasn't three and a half years ago. This was about five, six years ago, whatever. This rabbi emails me. And he just said, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you work with Graham Norton and Russell Brand and all these famous people, Joan Rivers, and yet you look like a rabbi. You know, and you've got... a. Uh, um, You've got, you know, you've got a beard and you've got those, the long um, side locks and you've got a yarmulke and all this, all the black hat and everything. And you look like a rabbi and you're working with all these people. And that, that that's, that's, that's interesting. I think our, my congregation would be really interested to hear about this. And this was the catalyst for you doing stand-up. I'll come on to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I say, I said, all right, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll give it a go. I, I did it for free. I, I think you might have given me a bottle of whiskey or something, but I, I went mm-hmm. along and I told, I just told some anecdotes and I told a bit about it. And you know what it was? Again, we talk about my addictive personality. Uh-huh. I'd forgotten how much I missed doing stand-up because when the audience laughed, I mean, it wasn't, it was a speech. I was like giving an after-dinner speech. Mm-hmm. But when they laughed, I liked it. And it went really well. And and he must have recommended me to some other rabbis because other rabbis were then emailing me going, oh, come and talk at my synagogue. And every time I did it, because I'm a comedy writer and because I'm a, a, obviously a kind of frustrated performer, every time I did it, I, it was a little bit funnier than the last time. I thought mm-hmm. of an extra joke. I thought of almost like a punchline. Right. And after a while of doing this, I thought, you know what? What would be quite interesting, because I thought no one else is really doing this, is why don't I rewrite what I've got, this speech, turn it into a stand-up show. I'll get rid of the notes and the, the lectern. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll grab a microphone and I'll just see if I can do stand up. That was three and a half years ago. And like, it's just, yeah, it, I must have like hit lucky and, and got the, you know, found a hole in the market because it just took off. And you've performed what all over the world at this point? I mean, in that three and a half years, I've done, what have I done in three and a half years? I've done two UK tours, theater tour. Uh, I've done two Israel tours. I've done Canada, done five weeks off Broadway. 
covered by the New York Times, New York Post. I've done Edinburgh Run now. I've done. I've got my Radio Four show. Yes, it's. I, I I've likened it in several times. I've likened it to being like a gambler at the tables at Vegas, mm-hmm. and basically I'm on a winning streak. And while I'm keep winning, I'll keep playing. Mm-hmm. And when I start losing, I'll have to learn to you know I'll have to realize and walk away. <laughs> but it, basically, it's been three and a half years of me winning. It's just incredible. It sounds like you've had a very blessed uh, yeah incredible career in general. Elbow of God, we could say. Yeah, the foot of God. Yeah. <laughs> I like when people have these little like God sayings, like you know, you make plans and God laughs. Yeah, I used to have a joke about that. I go, you know, you they say you make plans and God laughs, and then all the angels around him start laughing too, even if they don't get it, they just don't want to look stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason I got confused before when you started telling the story about how you'd worked with Joan Rivers and then you were already looked like a religious Jew when or were a religious Jew when she met you was because I thought that was going to be the story of the rabbi who got you into religion. Oh, right, right, right. No, no, no. So that's a separate story. So, different, different so rabbi, let's different. hear that story now. The- so that was, well, I, I think I've, it's, it sounds like I didn't really tell it properly, but there's not really any more embellishment. We got married and... You and the um, rabbi? Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> we kept it hush. And um, so my wife and I got married and we yeah, gave you... A year's free membership, what they do in the UK, you get a year's free membership to your local synagogue. I went one day during the summer, Liverpool didn't have any matches, and uh, there's no soccer in the summer. And I went to to synagogue one week, and he was very friendly, and I thought, oh, you know what, I'll go back. Mm-hmm. And and then he started saying, oh, what are you doing later on? What are you doing tomorrow morning? And I, it did just kind of snowball. I kind of didn't want to say no. I'm terrible at saying no. You asked me to come to your apartment at ten thirty at night when I'm tired and I'm terrible at saying no, so I'm here. I mean, seriously, this is, so I'm, why I'm is, the world's worst at saying no. Do you, I'm wondering if you do much. Yeah, self, it seems like you don't do too much self analysis. I know. Talking. Why is that? Why is that? I like to please people though. Clearly. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why can't you say no? I know. I'm terrible. I'm awful. <laughs> Genuinely terrible at saying no. So I, I kind of kept saying yeah, and, and then I got into it and I liked it, and yeah, it became like again, it wasn't enough. I want to learn it all. I want to know it all. I want to. Yeah. When I said, I told my brother, I said, oh, you know, I went to synagogue today and I hadn't been to synagogue in years. And he said, he said to me, oh my goodness, you'll be a rabbi within two years. Because <laughs> he knows, he knows me. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. like he knew, he could see what he like, go, oh no. <laughs> Will you be a podcaster after tonight? Yeah, or? I know, exactly. Like, no, you better hope I don't get into podcasts. So that'll be, you know, where are you? In, you're currently eight in the iTunes chart. You'll be nine. <laughs> well, how did you meet your wife? Um, we, my wife and I met. Look, you know, it sounds like I'm preaching, to, and I'm not. I don't want to come over. Like, I'm not. You know, I'm very much not into outreach, and I'm not trying to persuade anyone. But this Why again not? is one of those ah, because you know what? I'm a libertarian at heart, and I just feel you know what, do what you want. But like okay. I, I. I, I'm not I, saying you should be. I'm I know. I live my life, and I hopefully, if, if it has an impact on other people, great. But I'm not going to try and force something on you. But you know what? Again, another one of those shoulder of God moments. So my wife, I, I put, I, I dated a bit, but I really wanted to meet somebody. This was before the internet, really before internet dating. So you know now, and there's no stigma now about kind of being on like Tinder or any of those things, and you know, mm-hmm. um, but. Back then, I I put an advert in a, in the Jewish newspaper, 
Like they had like a lonely heart. No, like there were loads. I mean, there were loads. I mean, like like one like it was like a phone thing. You'd ring up and you'd you'd hear someone's voice, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was, and they only run it in the paper one week. I think your 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 ones that says. And if you like the sound of this person, call this number. My wife said that for some weird reason, she literally it's literally the only time she has ever bought this Jewish newspaper in her entire life. For some reason, she bought it that week. And she said she's never, even when she was at home and bought sort of paper, she never looked at that, at those adverts. And for some reason, she bought it that week, looked at those adverts, and rang one of them. And we well, got married. It's the same story with you and your job. It's that's what I'm BBC. saying. That's what I'm saying. The, between the two of you, if you ever buy a newspaper, it's a big deal. That's what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Something's it's, about it's, to happen. It's, it's, you yeah. know, in, in Judaism, we have a phrase, which you, you, you'll, you'll know, of called Hashgacha Pratis, mm-hmm. which basically this idea, it's translated, it means divine providence. And basically it, the idea of it is, is that God runs the world. Not that God created the world and, and just left it and just said, right, I've created a world, now I'm going off to, to, do, to watch the telly. Uh-huh. But that God runs the world, that literally every single thing that happens is, is run, is like, as you say, the hand, the shoulder, the foot of God, uh-huh. and that everything is run in some way, you know. And I guess there have been a lots of things in my life that I definitely look back on and you could just say, wow, that's coincidence. But I, I say, yeah, okay, you know, fine, coincidence or God, I don't uh-huh. know. Yep. Wow. That's so definitely one of them. You, so, put yeah. a, you put an ad in the paper. Yeah. So looking for a date. I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, probably like 20 something, well, guy, whatever. Anyway. And what I prompted think, you to do it at that point? Do you I think I just wanted to meet, uh, I, wanted, I think I really just wanted a serious uh, relationship. Was, it, the, was this the first time you put the ad in? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So you put an ad in. She picks like, up the paper. Yeah, you, you like you. What would happen is you would you'd have a phone line. It would have like a voicemail from me. Would then go hello, whatever. So you know, if you're interested, leave your name. You know, and she left her name and number. And, yeah. And what it, did she work at the time? Yeah, she was a teacher. Yeah. And you were working at BBC. Yeah. Um. And uh, how long were you dating before you got before you got married? Uh, quite a long time actually, um, but I mean, I, I could tell from the first date, like or second date, like I knew we'd be, end up being together. But um, I think, uh, well, I know we our first date I think was the 9th of December, ninety nine, and we got engaged on the 9th of December two thousand and one. So we were, so I, it took me two years to kind of ask the question. But I guess we like we weren't in a hurry, like mm-hmm. particularly because. You know, we weren't like super religious. There was no reason, like, right. there was nothing like kind of stopping us really, or like trying to like G us up, particularly. I think she'd have been happy if I'd have asked quicker, but whatever. Uh huh. Well, what did she think about the fact that you have this obsessive uh, person? I think she fear lives in fear of it. Really? And she went, be, yeah, be, but I tell you, seriously, my son's really, he's been into Lego, Jurassic uh, World. Um, he recently discovered um, Pirates of the Caribbean, and he's now like super into pirate. Like he is like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. A, it's clearly a. And and when you decided I'm going to go full on religious, how did yeah, she, she feel about that? I I think she kind of like didn't realize the extent to which it would go, but uh-huh. she she's kind of gone on the journey. We have gone on a journey together. And uh, she's happily gone on the journey or she just yeah i think at times yeah <laughs> i think at times not in the early stage but whatever like you know uh-huh. and you then have to just go like you know you know what you again as i said before i'm a libertarian i like you do have to to some extent 
just say, look, you know, d- d- you know, at your at your own pace. But obviously, we've got a, you know, we've got a. Uh, thank God, we've got a, a big family now, and you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, we we live our life our way. But yeah, that's part of your whole like libertarian. Don't say no to anything philosophy, right? Just, I don't know. I yeah, I don't, don't be pushy yeah. in one way or another. I do your know, thing, just, and yeah, I'm just not interested know. in like I'm not. I, I, I have done, I mean, uh, there's a lot of outreach, as you know, in Judaism, in Orthodox Judaism, there's a lot of outreach organizations, and I do do stuff for the outreach organizations. They often use me and, and, and what have you, and I'm happy to do that. But in my actual life, I'm not seeking, I'm not, there are some people who have, like, try really hard to always, like, con- I, ne- I just don't want to be that guy. There's some part of you that's, like, really afraid of being pushy, too, I think. Like, we talked earlier before the interview, you're doing this show here yeah. at the festival, and you told me people come up to you, asking you questions because you're Jewish and they're Jewish and they're looking for information and you don't even give them a flyer to your I show. I know. Is it the same part of you? that shy. I'm, I think I'm quite shy. I'm a very shy person. Uh-huh. Like, you're not of, shy. Uh, no, I am. I am. Yeah, very shy. Do you really think you're shy? Yeah, I mean, I'm really shy. Yeah. You have a radio show? Yeah, I can do it. You do shows perform. everywhere? No, I know. I can, it's totally different. You're selectively shy. No, I think lots of performers are shy. You can be a performer and be shy. I'm, a, I'm definitely a shy person. Like I couldn't go to like we. You asked me before about. Um, you were telling me about like a, the bars where industry people hang out in Edinburgh. I'm I don't like shy. going to that I'm either. But to, I mean, I'm too shy to do things like that. I'm just a shy person. I'm I go there and I just don't talk to anybody. That's the way to. Yeah, exactly. I'm, t- I'm too shy. <laughs> like I'm too shy. That's why I probably put the ad in the paper. I'm too shy to like meet girls properly. Like I couldn't go up to somebody. In but a you're bar. you're not shy compared to somebody who's doesn't have a public image you're shy on a yeah I'm on a sliding my, scale i'm I mean, shy in my real life you're, sh- you're shy in your weight public, class you know public uh public persona or something else yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah so um uh what were we saying yeah I, i'm not looking to try and persuade anyone but yeah i can only tell you the world as i see it and as mm-hmm. i see it all these incredible things have come together and uh yeah I've, how I've do you see that. the whole world right now since, <laughs> since uh since we're talking about the world as you see it yeah what do you see for the world and i know that's a vague question i'll let you take it as you wish um i it's too big a question go on what, what do you mean i don't even know well, what, what what's the first thing that comes to mind when i ask you about the world today how do i see the world today yeah what's the things that worry me in the world today or what okay. are the things that... sure go with that um it's interesting because, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting, like thinking very personally about the world today, uh, is like I'm doing a show in Edinburgh at the moment about being a religious person. I think it's a religious Jew, but just being a religious person. And something that struck me from some of the interactions I've had with people, reviewers and, and different people, is that we live in an increasingly, particularly in the UK, and it may be like America slightly different depending on what part of it you're in, but and such a secular society a society that doesn't that 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 actually not only doesn't respect religion but actually just thinks it is so crazy and 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 associates it also with really bad things like associates it with sexism misogyny and homophobia and things that are kind of that are, that are kind of like the, the the standards that we now kind of expect of um liberal kind of um western society and so that's kind of a really interesting thing. And I think America is actually quite different because, you know, you've got that huge Bible belt and it's, that's why. Yeah, maybe like, there, but not on the coasts. Not on the coasts, exactly. Yeah. Not in New York and, 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 and LA, yeah. I'm amazed that you just found this out from the Edinburgh I know, Festival. I know. Well, yeah, because I'm, 
All right, because I'll tell you why I found that out. Because I have spent a lot of my... I should, I should say this, actually, for, for talking about those, this incredible last three and a half years of stand-up. So a lot of that time, I've been performing for Jews. That's, That's what, what I was... So, yeah, so I'm performing for Jews. I've done these two tours here, and I've done... Um, you know, my New York show was almost entirely, you know, would have been vastly predominantly Jewish. And this show, and all, I suppose my radio, no, for sure, my BBC show mm-hmm. um, is, 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 for, is for everyone. But this show in particular here, this is my first live show mm-hmm. that I've done for the general Gentile audience. And I've had a mix. I mean, you know, you're still going to get Jews coming. And I mostly perform exclusively yep. for the general yep. public. I mean, I was and actually tempted to call the show at one point, No Jews Allowed, because <laughs> I kind of wanted the idea to try not to have the Jews. Actually, right. Because I find that once you have the Jews, like, excuse it a little bit, because they're kind because also you fall, the danger is you fall between two uh, stools. You know, it's like you try and serve two, two masters. And two you, religious, you not you religious enough. You don't, you don't, is you don't serve. No, no. What I mean is if you're trying to do comedy that's for, that's both going to be right, particularly if you're talking about Jewish subjects, for Gentiles and for Jews at the same time, you end up trying to serve two masters. I serve none. You, you kind of right. go in between. It's not, it's, it's too Jewy for the Gentiles. It's not Jewy enough for the Jews. It's, it's anyway. right. Right. Thank God. I've, and I, I think, think I've, I've actually managed it. I think I have managed it. I'm pleased with how I've managed to do that, but it's a tough market performing for Jews. Like the thing I brought up a second ago, when I misguessed what you were talking about, uh, do you experience that? Because, Oh, the, I, you yeah. know, I, your what act, you your act to... wasn't religious enough. Your act oh, was too sure, religious. I mean, it's it's almost oh, impossible the, the, to please yeah, for sure. a Jewish audience. I yeah, find. yeah, of course. And I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the complaints and emails I get. And, and yeah, are, are there any that stand out as particularly absurd or funny? Oh my goodness, I have like a whole file of them. And also, <laughs> I, I like I, I used to like whenever I'd post something on Facebook, I'd get complaints and oh, um, trying to think what are the ones that well, there are people who just see things that aren't there and think that you're. Uh, and particularly also like I, there was one, I had one really, really long complaint from someone in New York who was going, I, 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 and I never replied on the whole, I just can't be bothered to get into an, a dialogue because some people are just nuts. Right. Um, but somebody sent me this really long email saying about how my show had been advertised as a kosher show and it was terrible that it was, he didn't feel it was kosher enough and whatever. He wasn't mm-hmm. bringing his children anymore. And, I said, I actually replied to this one because I said, look, I just want to make it very clear. Number one, I don't agree with you. And I, there's nothing in the shows that I would be ashamed of my rabbi hearing mm-hmm. or my children coming to whatever. But, but I just want to make it very clear. You've imagined that it's advertised as a kosher show because only an absolute idiot would do that because, mm-hmm. because, because, because it is such a such subjective thing. It's not like kind of going, this meat is kosher. It either is or it isn't. I mean, you know, right. saying a comedy show is kosher to, to one person, they're going to go, yeah, that was fine. To someone else, they go, oh, no, no, he made one very slight innuendo allusion to something and now that's not kosher. <laughs> yeah. So, do you know what I mean? So, only an absolute idiot would. And so I said, it wasn't kosher. You might have seen a quote somewhere about me claiming it was kosher entertainment. And, and you'd, if you don't agree with that, you'd have to take it up with the writer of that review and the publication who published it. Yeah. But like, 
don't tell me that I'm advertising as that because I'm not. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I get all kinds of complaints like this. And yeah, pe- pe- yeah, it, it, that is that is Jews. Jews are like that. Jews are, and, and and yeah, I mean, we, you know, sometimes they like it to, it's not, you know, it wasn't the seat, wasn't it? It wasn't near yeah. enough, the parking. I did hear people were going mad at me for ages on, on social media. When are you coming to Israel? When are you come? When are you going to come to Israel? Yeah. And then I booked a tour. I did my first tour of Israel. And the same people are moaning to be going, oh, but when are you coming to Moda Inn? When are you coming to Moda Inn? I can't drive half an hour to this place, <laughs> won't you? To Beit Shemesh, won't you go to Moda And you know what? I know if I'd have done a show in Moda Inn, they'd have been going, but why aren't you on my street? Right. I'm <laughs> performing know, in your living room, but why aren't you in my bedroom? I don't want to come downstairs. <laughs> you know, That's I, what they're like. I used to work for Jackie Mason. Yes, and I know, he, selling his tapes. Yeah. yeah, and he always complained about having... You know, a Jewish audience is like, you know, I'm happy to have them, but, you know, they're the worst audiences in the world. And and he always said things to me. One of them that stuck out, he would go, every single Jew I meet, they all come up to me and they they, they all, they want a picture, they want this. I go, have you ever seen me on my Broadway show? Have you ever come to, paid money to come and see me? No, but can I have a ticket? They all think I owe them a ticket just because I'm Jewish. I know. I, then, had this, I had this with my show and I, 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 you know, I just did my New, York, my New York run and people were messaging me, gen, not even joking, going, is there going to be free Kugel? Like, is it gonna, like what? Like, oh, can't there be something free as well? Can't yeah, no, yeah. You, you don't go to Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda gives you some noodle kugel. <laughs> like, what are you, some chillers, what are you on? Right. What are you, are you so, insane? And then he says, they all complain the ticket price was too high. It's a Broadway show. They're all complaining on the way out. The ticket costs too much as they get into their limousines and drive away. So, yeah, I had, no, so the one I had, I think Jackie Mason talks about this. Uh, uh, I, I think I've seen him talk about it live, but I, this again, I, I mean, I genuinely have had this and I've not even had people doing it in an ironic way. So he, he did a routine, I think about like people trying to work out how much money he's making on a show. Like you can't, and I, I had that, I've had people go to me, I've counted up, we've counted up the, the seats. What are you doing? $6,000 tonight? 7,000? Like, <laughs> why do you, like, that's Jews. Jews are like that. They just kind of want to know how. Yeah. And also Jews have got this thing, particularly men. And the women don't have this problem. It's the men. Jewish men always kind of feel that they could do it better. Mm-hmm. Or they could do it. Or they're funny. Oh, I'm cleverer than him. Yeah. Say they're going to go, go, Yeah. So I could do that. I could it, do that. They can't. What do you think that is? It's just like they odd. can't give it up. They I can't. It's the oddest thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, oh, I've had all of this. It's, it's fine. I, but I like, you know, I like. I was in a Chabad. Um, Staying with them one weekend in middle America, I was doing shows, non-Jewish shows, but they were kind enough to put me up for Shabbat. And then one of the sons who was becoming a rabbi, all Chabad sons, I think, become a rabbi, uh, was kind enough to drive me to my show Saturday night after Shabbat. And we're in the car and he's like, um, talking to me, he's like, you know, I love artists, you know, like I love different music artists, comedy artists. I love them. You know, I'm talking about real artists, not like Jewish ones. I'm like, well, what, what, is, what do you mean by that? He goes, you know, not like, not like religious artists. Like I don't like them. Like I like the real ones, not the ones that like have families and go home to them. And like the ones that live out of suitcases, the real artists. I'm like, that's a, 
rabbi in training and he doesn't even like, like I was just like so discouraged. I'm like, so if I ever wanted to become an, like an observant performer, like even this guy would be like, he's not the real deal. It just, it, it, no, I think I, I, look, I, I don't know what this guy was talking about, but there's something I've definitely, I really, really identify with there. If, if, if I'm reading it right, is that, and this is something that was a real big ambition of mine. So what, certainly what non-Jewish and, and even non-religious Jewish listeners to this may not be aware of is there is a whole world of what I could call kosher entertainment, right? Uh, and particularly in the world of music. So Orthodox Jews won't listen to, you know, Orthodox, um, you know, Madonna, Ed Sheeran, whatever, shows you out of touch, you know, with, uh, what, you know, but like is any like, secular music, right? Very Instead, ob- they're listening yeah. to all these Jewish pop stars like MBD, Mordechai Ben David, and uh, Avram Fried, and Yaakov Shweki, and the Miami Boys Choir. There's a whole world of this stuff. And... And I, you know, I've listened to it and I, I don't mind it. I quite like it. However, and I, I, I forgive me, forgive me those artists, please, please forgive me for saying this, but they're not at the same standard of real music. They're not produced at the same standard, the production values and all the rest of it and everything about it, the art, just everything about it. I think it's kind of improving a little bit, but it's not, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Um, and so one of my big, really big ambitions when I started doing stand-up um, and when I like literally three and a half years ago was thinking, you know what, maybe I could turn this into doing stand-up, was that I thought it'd be interesting to bring, because I'd been producing and writing comedy at a very high level for the for like yay many years, 15 years at that point or whatever, I thought it'd be really interesting to bring the same standard of secular comedy mm-hmm. to this world. And I think because most Jewish entertainment is done at a very kind of what I'd call Hamish way, Hamish way. It's like, it's not, it's, you know, Hamish it's is another Jews. way of it's, like it's thrown together. Like Hamish basically in that context, basically means I guess amateur. It's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's for that. Like for I've that been world, to some rundown Jewish restaurants and they're like, it's Hamish. For that yeah. world. Yeah. It's fine for that world. Exactly. You want to go like, yeah, like there are restaurants in New York that are like like Prime Grill or something like that that are like this is as good as any other restaurant. It just so happens to be kosher. So I my ambition was to was to try and do comedy for that market, but with the same production values. And you know what? That's also why I that I, I, I it sounds completely insane, but that was actually one of the other reasons I decided to go off on my own and do this stand up. Was also I'd forgotten this was that I used to do these kind of, like I'd come and talk at a synagogue and I once turned up somewhere to do this and I saw a poster with my name on it and I could not bear it seeing my name on this terrible poster with like clip art. Mm. And that's what I mean. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not having my name up on something, some Microsoft Word clip art. Yeah. Thing. Let's let's do something proper let, with proper. And when I mean proper, I mean proper writing, proper performing, but also proper production, a proper theatre, a proper uh, poster, and everything done in exactly the same way as it would be in the uh, real world. I always say like the right. real world, the but secular like, you know, world, the secular world, exactly the so, outer part of the, the bubble. Outer, yeah, so I yeah. just feel so that's kind of really important to me. So I really hope that that's what I've done, and that's also why, like. 
and I don't think there's ever been actually anyone who religious who's done like what I've done. Like as I say, it was like this kind of like my off Broadway run, you know, as they had a, a couple of months ago. But it was to do something like that to do, you know, this is what you might do. This is what just someone else might do. Like, but mm-hmm. but I'm not going to come to your because people kept saying to me, but the Jews don't live there. I, I was at a theater on uh, Broadway and Fiftieth, the Jerry Orbach Theater, mm-hmm. uh, like opposite School of Rock, around the corner from Hamilton and. Dear Evan Hansen, and then there's me right in the middle of this. Opposite, I was by, just by Wicked. And um, people said to me, but Jews aren't there. Why don't you go and do a show in Muncie? Hire a hall in Muncie, hire a hall in Lakewood, hire a hall in Borough Park. No, that's what, that's the difference. I don't want to do that. This isn't come kind of like amateur, mm-hmm. you know, Hamish, Jewishy thing. No, let's do it properly. Let's do a proper big theater mm-hmm. and you'll come to me. Yeah. I like that theory. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to go back to what you were saying that you were shocked by at the festival. Um, I brought up to you that I mostly perform for just the general public. And I've noticed this kind of anti-religious sentiment a lot. And when I talk to observant Jewish friends of mine, they're like, they don't see it. And I'm like, that's because you're in the bubble. You're- right, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Because because I've been performing for Jews, I kind of I didn't realize until I came here just how yeah. And there's we were talking before. There's another show, another uh, Jewish comedian who's doing a show here about like having been religious, but then talking about like I'm not religious anymore. So kind of like knocking it a bit, and and that's much more palatable to the to the general audience because that kind of like is affirming their beliefs of like yeah this is yeah you're right this is all crazy. So it's kind of interesting for me to come and do a show where I'm saying, no, this is what I, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. But I'm very careful in my show. I, again, I don't, I'm not trying to persuade anyone. I'm just saying, look, I know it sounds crazy, but this is the way I live my life. Yeah. And then I kind of say at the end, this is why I still want to do it. And now you're finally seeing like, you know, where the zeitgeist is. Exactly. Because, yeah. because you left that bubble of. Exactly. Of, and I've been, I've been really dealing with this for a long time. Yeah. And I, I always feel like I'm alone and how come nobody else notices this? Like, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, but there's definitely, as I say, in America, people are much more like, I don't like Jim Gaffigan. He's like quite, is he quite it's, religious? It's, I don't know what extent he is. I know he's Christian. He's Catholic. Catholic. I mean, he's not I know he's a really Jewish. Good comedian. Yeah, I know yeah. he's a really good comedian, but I, right. but is there any, any and Colbert extent? too, Stephen Colbert. Right. Well, what I was going to say, we say, Jim yeah. Gaffigan, is there any extent to which, even though he's a really great comedian, that there are people also like the fact that he's Christian. There must be people in America. who I'm sure who, there yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. And, and, and that wouldn't be the case here. I think England, Britain, is a more secular country than the United States. Do you think the UK Definitely. will do away with religion within the next hundred years completely? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, I, I think um, that's a difficult one. Is it because the church is, um, you know, the queen is the head of the church and, you know, it's the church of England and she's the, the head of the church. Uh, I, I can't imagine a time. No, but I think I the, think it's almost gone in Scotland. It's like all the churches have been converted into theaters here. Okay, but it's always going to be yeah. But I, I can't imagine a time when 
When you say do away with, what do you mean by that? I mean, just like it'll be so marginalized to be religious. Yeah, or, well, it is already like that now. But like, it's not like well, we're never going to become an officially secular country, though, because because our, our the head of state is also the head of the church. For now, until they get rid of the monarchy. Do That's you think that'll right. happen? Nah. Never? No. Nah. There's always like a vote, right? Get rid of the monarchy. Nah. No, no, in Scotland well, there is right? no, no, not no, to be no, part no. of that. Oh no, that's not not to not have the Queen there. Look, y- you know, we anyone who thinks let's get rid of the Queen and let's have let's vote someone as head of state, Donald Trump. Well, there you go. Let's not do that then, because <laughs> that's what you want. If that's what you want, that could happen. You, do you, so you don't think they'll ever get rid of the royal? No, 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 never. Yeah, no, but they could, right? They could just vote it out. No, they couldn't. Couldn't vote it out. No, no? Not, no, it doesn't work like that. But no, so, I can't. So it's really a monarchy still? Like they really. Yeah, it is a monarchy, yeah. Yeah. The Queen appoints the. Yeah, what happens is like, and there's an election. So uh-huh. the head of the party that wins, yeah, uh-huh. then goes to the Queen and asks, can, you know, if it's Theresa May, can she form a government? And the Queen says yes. And I mean, it's all like, it's all, um, what's the word, completely ceremonial. I mean, she's not actually going to turn around and go, no um but uh but yeah it is in her gift yeah wow yeah you learned something yeah i learned something you ready to learn something too yeah sure all right cool that's a good transition we have a philosopher here we'll be right back with the philosophy portion of the show but first a quick word from our sponsor is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals good news better help online counseling is there for you Connect with your professional counselor in a safe, private, online environment. I'm telling you, it's so convenient. You could get help on your own time and in your own space. You could schedule a secure video or phone session. Plus, you can chat or text with your therapist. And licensed professional counselors are available who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, Self-esteem and anything you share is strictly, and I mean strictly, confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states and available worldwide. Like I said, there's four ways you can communicate. You can text, chat, phone, and video, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's available on desktop mobile web, Android, and iOS apps. I mean, it's so easy. Schedule a video and phone session. They're generally done weekly unless your therapist schedules more. And these therapists have broad expertise in the network, which may not be locally available in many areas. Financial aid is also available for those who qualify. It's secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and it's not a crisis line. Best of all, it is a truly affordable option for you because you are a modern-day philosopher listener, and you will get 10% off your first month with this exclusive discount code MDP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com MDP. Simply fill out a questionnaire, help them assess your needs, and get matched with a counselor that you will love. That's betterhelp.com MDP. And now back to my talk with Ashley Blaker. So the philosopher that Alex picked out for you is somebody named Leo Strauss. Have you heard of him? Leo Strauss? I thought he manufactured denim jeans. 
Strauss. That's Levi Strauss. <laughs> different different Strauss. Okay. Leo Strauss was an American German philosopher. He lived from September 20th, 1899 to October 18th, 1973. Mm-hmm. He was a German American political philosopher and classicist who specialized in classical political philosophy. He was born in Germany to Jewish parents uh, and later emigrated from Germany to the United States. Well, I wonder why. He spent much of his career as a professor of political science at the University of Chicago, where he taught several generations of students and published 15 books. That's a lot of books. Um, Trained in the Neo-Cantinian tradition, which I don't know what that is, with Ernest Cassir, 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 and immersed in the work of the phenomenologist Edmund Hersell and Martin Heidegger. We talked about Heidegger on this show. Strauss later focused his research on the Greek texts of Plato and Aristotle, retracing their interpretation through medieval Islamic and Jewish philosophy and encouraging the application of those ideas to contemporary political theory. So that's a little bit about Leo Strauss from Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. And Alex says that what you guys have in common is because Ashley is an observant Jew from Britain. He picked a Jewish philosopher who lived in England. Uh, He fled there when the Nazis rose to power. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty basic connection there. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jew in England, a Jew in England. There you go. And I wonder if he had a. It sounds like he probably had like an obsessive character because like he was obsessed at one point with like one kind of philosophy, and then he got really interested in the Greek philosophies. And yeah, you better watch out. You may wind up with. Phil- Do you ever worry? Like, is this going to be my new obsession? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. When you when you see something that yeah. intrigues you a little bit. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh oh. Yeah, seriously, I have, I have. I've got loads. Okay. Yeah. Um, like, I even only wear one, like there's only one clothes design. I think I told you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. That that yeah, would yeah, be the seriously, thing. Seriously. What, what's the name of that designer? Paul, Paul Smith. Paul Smith. Yeah. Yeah. And all your stuff has these stripes yeah. on it. Yeah. The Paul Smith stripes. Yeah. It's obsessive. Yeah. yeah. Pretty I mean, interesting. I would, I would. You ever you ever go to an analyst and talk about this stuff? No, I've never done any of that stuff. No, never no? done therapy. No. If you go in, you might go in too deep. I know, but I, I never. Yeah. I, you know, nothing against people. If you want to do that, because if you've got, I kind of feel that's the kind of thing you should only go if you really have like issues. I, I, mean, I, I mean, you do have issues. No, but I mean issues insofar as like you can't function or like your your marriage is breaking down or your what do you know what i mean like i'm not, yeah, I'm not it seems why would like, i just go for the sake of it i got other stuff to do you seem to like be like of the opinion of embrace the disability make it work for you no you don't i just think like fine nothing you know I, I understand why people go to therapy but you go to therapy because there's something you want to fix not I'm not looking to fix anything. Right, that's the thing. That's you're, in, you're, you'd rather embrace it. You're like, let me incorporate yeah, exactly. this, this into my, my life. I know, I know exactly. This is me. To where, like, I, I'm of the, always the opinion of like, can I, can I f- get in there and tinker with this a little bit? Right. You know. Um, anyway, here's the synopsis from Alex, and this is a synopsis of Leo Strauss. He says, artists hide their true intentions in their work. They use layered meanings such as irony, metaphor, etc to provide a buffer between their message and the potential oppression by those who do not approve. So what is that so far saying? I think that speaks to comedy really like 
because I, I am coming at it from that point of view. So I see things in terms of comedy, irony, metaphor, being the buffer. So, so for us, it would be jokes being the buffer between us and the message so that a potential oppressor might not like what you have to say, but you kind of buffer it with your art Mm. with jokes and in terms of comedy, right? Maybe, but I mean, that's, that's kind of saying hide the true intention. Not all, you don't, not everything's hidden. Not necessarily. Oh, he's saying hide it. Artists hide their true intention. What if the true intention is not hidden? If it's Mm -hmm. just the plain meaning. Yeah, I don't think there's a hidden intention in my work. No, it's not in mine. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, let's keep going. Society rap's not like that. Like, you know, go, oh, when, you know, when um, Dr. Dre raps on Straight Outta Compton, it's not actually that true intention is something else. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was listening, I really, were you into hip hop, by the way? Not really. No. I mean, I like it. I respect yeah. it, but I can't say that I was really okay. ever into it. No, because I, re- I was listening the other day to um, NWA Straight Outta Compton. Still, yeah, I listened to it the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, like I, I just I got Amazon Music and I just wanted to listen to it again. And it's just sorry, just a quick aside. It's just something that struck me literally like the other day is that um, is. You know the, the the second song in it is is called I won't say the word F the police yes mm-hmm. um, you know that song and it, 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 I can't with the exact line but it's something about like you know pulling over a minority you know thinking every black man's selling narcotics and every other song on the album is about selling narcotics. <laughs> <laughs> this is the odd thing. It's like you kind of go, hang on, decide what you know. It's just a really funny thing that, like, yeah, kind of go. Yeah, but, <laughs> so you're getting annoyed that the police. You spend the entire first song is just going, yeah, I'm got, you know, I got my the drugs and whatever and guns. I'm going to shoot a man. I'm driving like, and then the next thing, you go, oh, why are the police pulling me over? Well, because on the first song, you just said you're selling drugs and shooting people. <laughs> Make your mind up. Anyway, that's why artists hide their truth. Maybe there was some hidden. Um, yeah, you need to hide it. Do you remember like the backward masking? That was kind of hidden. What's the backward? Like you remember, like they used to talk about like songs having backward masking. Oh, oh, you must oh have, when like, you play Judas the song Priest. backwards. Yeah, yeah. There was that court case because somebody, some American kid, blew his uh, like head off. Uh, but survived, and I was like horribly disfigured uh-huh. because he'd played backwards a, a Judas Priest song that said something like, do it, do it. And that was all those kind of like <laughs> Satan. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a good example of that. Yeah, of course, I the kid I hope didn't win that case, right? No, I mean, no, the, the guy from Judas Priest won. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, because um, there was something more wrong yeah, with exactly. that kid. But there was also the, um, yeah, because there's a, uh, another one bites the dust. You know mm-hmm. that one? If you play it backwards, it goes, it's fun to smoke marijuana. Really? Yeah. It's fun to smoke marijuana. No, actually, I th- there was a really good documentary actually about it, uh, the Judas Priest case. And the guy, I've forgotten the name of the lead singer of Judas Priest. See, the guy who came out then uh, some years later. I can't remember. Anyway, um, I can't remember his name. He, um, he his masterstroke, absolute genius masterstroke in the case, was he just played backwards loads of other songs and they just came up with just so much weird, random stuff. Mm-hmm. So you said, yeah, see, look, you play any song backwards. It's all kind of like, this is not intentional. If it does sound a little bit like Love Satan and Do This, mm-hmm. like, just listen to all these songs. Yeah. But yeah, the w- ones that's often um, brought up is the Freddie Mercury going, it's fun to smoke marijuana. 
Huh. And and that's something, by the way, just to be clear, that's something they put in there, right? No, I think again, I think it's just uh, no, I think that's the that's the allegation. I think that's no, I think what you think Freddie Mercury's trying to think, oh, if I say another one by Maybe that's like the message from the underneath, you no, know, the upside down. That's or... what I'm saying. I didn't think no, it's just <laughs> that's what the guy from Judas Priest was basically saying. It's yeah. it's not um it's pretty not, wild that, that it comes out like yeah, that. Yeah. But I bet if you played backwards all the um the the Mordechai Ben David and, and Avram Freed it probably yeah. <laughs> it's fun to eat bacon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as extreme as that. It's kind of it's fun to eat non-supervised milk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So going on with the synopsis, it says society cannot persecute him if they don't know exactly what he means. Using coded language will attract the right kind of reader and repel the wrong one. I, I suddenly feel not as bright as I thought I was. Using coded language, I think that's philosophy. Like they mm. use coded language in philosophy all the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I, I do understand what he means here because if you write something in a certain way, and you could say this for Jewish things as mm. well, if you write things in a certain way, the whole Talmud is written in code. Yep. And it attracts a certain kind of reader and repels the wrong kind, you know? Yeah. No, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah. Trying to figure out art is also a good philosophical exercise for the reader. Further training that person to seek knowledge in their own life. No, I, I keep coming back to rap, but rap is quite good like this because rap does use a kind of, there's a whole language that you mm-hmm. kind of like, you have to know oh, what, what an eight ball is or what this is or what that, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's and, written and, in code. And, and it's written in code, exactly. Yeah. So somebody who to doesn't find know. the audio to find, so that exactly. Yeah. yeah. While honest, I'm going to say, while honesty is great. Not all art is like this, but that's just a good example. That's yeah. And I think philosophy is that way too. I think it's written in such a way that only like the aristocracy could read it, you know? Uh, it was written. It wasn't written for the common man to read and understand. Mm-hmm. It was written to appeal specifically to a certain audience. Well, the Talmud is different. The Talmud is the Talmud is basically for those that don't know this kind of stuff. So, just very, very briefly, the we believe that the 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 Torah, the five books of Moses that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai were in, given in two parts. There was essentially a written law and an oral law, and the oral law kind of explains the written law. Mm-hmm. And you can't have one without the other, and that's the thing. Because like, if, if an alien landed and picked up the Torah, he, he would have no way to know actually how to, to, to understand it, because it's, cause it, like, what does it mean when it says, observes the Sabbath? I mean, what do I want to do? Just watch it? I mean, what do I have to do? Right. And it's the oral laws that explains it. But then at some point... Um, they were concerned that this was going to be forgotten and what have you. Wouldn't, so they had to write and, it and down. And I'll interject that that's also why, like, without that, some of the biblical stories just sound silly. Exactly. So so basically, it was all, so then it was finally written down. But it was written, they didn't ever want, the rabbis that wrote it down, and then also then later on wrote down the Talmud, they didn't want to ever lose that crucial relationship between a t- rebbe and a pupil, between a teacher and a student so it was written in such an elusive way and elusive way as well but and in such an elusive way that you have to you have to it has to be taught to explain yeah mm-hmm. so that's why and the kabbalah is like that too 
Right? Exactly, but so, it's, it, it's, it has to be, you. it's a preserve that relationship between student and teacher, so it always has to be passed down by the generations. Mm -hmm. So there, that's definitely got that kind of coded language. That is, right. And in that case, it's really, that's for different reasons. That's to ensure that there always has that relationship between teacher and student. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he goes on to say, while honesty is great, realistically, artists cannot be out in the open, as it makes them vulnerable. They must hide in plain sight. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what, exactly what that means. <laughs> I wonder if he's talking about an agenda, like if you have, if your art has an agenda, like you talked a little earlier about how conscious or conscientious you are of the fact that you don't want you to be proselytizing with your mm. art or to be, um, what was the word you used? Outreach. I don't know. Out, I'm not trying to convert. Yeah. You're not trying to tell anybody to, to live this way. No. You're not tell, trying to tell anybody this is right or wrong. You're just saying, I like it and this is why. Yep. Yeah. If it has an impact on people, then great. But I mean. Yeah. But is that the secret of it? Like from, our guy Leo no. Strauss's perspective would he say the art? It's not a hidden agenda. There's no, no hidden agenda. Are you sure you're under oath? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> All right. So, with that in mind, uh, that synopsis that we have on Leo Strauss, I always ask the guest to read for us a paragraph of the work of the philosopher, and we will take pauses again just to understand it as you go. Will you do the honors, please? Is that from here? Yes. Persecution of ideas gives rise to a peculiar technique in which the truth is presented. I think I got lost a while ago here. Let me okay. start again. Yeah. Because this is, I'm just, It's all written in I code. Kind of, yeah. You see? Persecution of ideas gives rise to a peculiar technique in which the truth is presented exclusively between the lines. Okay, I understand that. In Because, I mean, thank God we don't live in a culture where there is a persecution of ideas, but I guess in that's 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 where that's maybe why we find it so hard to understand because we live in very permissive society and you can actually you know we can joke about trump and you know say whatever you like about america and, and trump and whatever you, comedians can go on tv and 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 poke fun at trump and mm -hmm. they're not risk kind of going oh i'm going to be put in prison and have my head shot off tonight. sure i mean and, i'm sure and that's the you know where that happens in other countries yeah, so that's i'm, I'm sure a lot of this is informed by the fact that he escaped nazi that's germany what I'm so yeah. we don't have persecution yeah. of ideas we live in a country you know either you're in america or, or, or in the uk uh most western countries where there is actually nowadays very little persecution of ideas persecution of ideas gives ideas to petunias in which okay fine that truth is addressed not to all readers but to trustworthy and intelligent readers only yep i understand the works of the great writers are very beautiful and yet the visible beauty is ugliness compared with the beauty of those hidden treasures which disclose themselves only after a very long work. This difficult but always pleasant work is what the philosophers meant when they recommended education. Education is the only way. Okay, I mean, I think this is something, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of of its time, as you say, and it's something that we we live in such incredibly permissive societies now. And, um, yeah, I mean, even, that, you know, how it's changed even in the last 50 years. I mean, we talked before about, uh, you know, homophobia and what have you. 
I mean, you know, you're probably not aware of this, um, and, and, and non-British listeners won't be aware of this thing. So there's a thing in the, when homosexuality was illegal 50 years ago in the UK, there were certain um, gay communities that used this language called Polari. And uh, it's worth looking up online, Polari. It was it was mocked a lot in a comedy show called, uh, a BBC radio comedy show called um, Round the Horn and Kenneth Williams and these characters, Julian and Sandy, who spoke in Polari. And it was all, oh, I vardy your eek, means I see your face and all, anyway, mm-hmm. whatever. So they had this language. Funnily enough, Morrissey, if you like Morrissey, Morrissey had a song on one of his albums called Piccadilly Polari. But anyway, um, the... You know, when you have uh, things that aren't, you're not allowed to talk about and, you know, it has to be hidden and said between the lines and it's exactly what he's talking about there, that there is hidden meaning underneath. Mm-hmm. We, we It's really hard now to get our heads around this if you live in the UK and America because there is so little that can't be said. You know, we live in a, a country where... You know, we're at the Edinburgh Fringe and you can go and see people saying anything and right. slagging off Trump and May and Corbyn and this one and that one, whether you're from the left or the right, you can pretty much, and the Queen, and you can pretty much get up and say whatever you like and pretty safe in the knowledge that you're not going to prison for it and you're not going to be persecuted for it. And so it, it is kind of hard. These ideas are with regards to art are really, really difficult for us now to get our heads around. Really of a different time. They're a different time, uh, not a different time, different place, different time and place. I mean, but, yeah. these are certainly true if you live in, um, in Iran or if something. If you live in exactly in, in certain countries in the Middle East, for yeah. sure. I mean, like, exactly. Right. You know, that's... They might find this very relatable. I, it is 100% relatable. Exactly. <laughs> we do, we, we're very lucky. We, you know, how blessed we are. Uh, yeah. You know, and I said that the country is overly secular uh but you know what like thank god it is because this you realize when you read this that's a funny sentence thank god it's secular exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is it is you know thank god that you can go and express yourself especially in what we do exactly that we have this freedom um and i'm always worried a little part of me is always worried it's going to get taken away even in the festival here i'm like Ooh, yeah. maybe they're going too far. Maybe yeah. maybe somebody's going to put a stop to it, but hopefully not. Anyway, we have some quotes here, and I always ask the guests uh, to read them. Will you do the honors? Okay. Quote number one. One cannot refute what one has not thoroughly understood. Well, I can't refute that. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, thinking... Is seeing something which makes you see something you weren't noticing, which makes you see something that isn't even visible. That is just so... um, There was a game show. There was a really funny show, um, kind of popular game show in the 1980s in the UK called Game for a Laugh. And their catchphrase at the end of the show was watching us, watching you, watching us, watching you. Mm -hmm. Which is like one of those, you know, like when you hold two mirrors... Again, as a kid, like you put two mirrors up against each other and you look and it like goes on forever. And it's like, and it's like one of those, that is like that. It's like thinking is seeing something like I just can't. You know what it makes me think of actually, you know, in Animal House, which is one of my favorite movies ever, Uh Donald Sutherland, when they're they're smoking the, the, the joint and Donald Sutherland's going like, 
Tom Hulse is going, so you're saying that there in one tiny molecule of my fingernail, there could be an entire universe. It's just like, yeah. I, I can't even, my brain can't. All right, let, let, let's take a look. And by the way, the first quote reminded me of you for a second because of your obsessive personality when I asked you why you're like that. And you, you said, I don't know. One cannot refute what one does not thoroughly understand. If you don't understand it, you can't yeah. stand up to it. Okay. Which Fine. is why I'm pro-therapy, yeah. by the way. So anyway, going back to the second one here, thinking is seeing something which makes you see something. So when you're thinking, you see something which makes you see something you weren't noticing, which makes you see something that isn't even visible, but isn't, okay. Isn't it already not visible once you're thinking? You're just seeing I it think in it's just an incredibly long-winded way of saying that you need to think to see beyond what's mm-hmm. visible. That's an incredibly long sentence to say something. I'm, you, my script editor brain is looking at that sentence going, you could have said, you've used 30 <laughs> words to say something that could be said in like 10 or five words. Yeah. You know. All right. Um, but yeah, the third quote, the silence of a wise man is always meaningful. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a lot you out of that. I, I got a lot you out of that. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm wise. What a wise man. Yeah, that was wise. <laughs> and that was meaningful. Yeah. What that do you was think a very you, meaningful silence I gave there after that. What do you think he really means by that? That silence is a great way to punctuate things? Uh, um, uh, I suppose he's saying that... Um, I suppose he's saying that just like, you know, that someone who's wise knows sometimes when to keep his mouth shut, basically. That you know, a silence of when somebody doesn't talk, it's meaningful, you know, it's meaningful that they're not saying something. Yeah, I think within the context of this, it's just like, because it's it's like maybe his silence means is the hidden code. It's like, exactly, exactly. I'm not agreeing on it's a tacit approval or tacit disapproval, whatever. You have to read between the lines. It's all it's all in code. Yeah, it's all in code. I think that this really is a yeah. As I say, it's so it's not as applicable to us because now also as a result of that, art is much much more upfront. Yeah. See the game coming back to the rap. They had to have a bit of code because it's kind of like ah, we're trying to say something that we don't want the white man to know. We Mm -hmm. don't want the establishment to know. So we we say this stuff so that the police, the the white man, whatever it is, doesn't understand us. But now, like, we live in a world, we can say anything now. You can just say anything. You can mm-hmm. go on TV and say anything. You can. You don't have to, like, say in your, you know, that's why, so, again, you, you won't be so familiar with it. Have you heard of the Carry On films? No. No. So the, the real, Google them, there's a really incredibly long, famous series of movies mm-hmm. in the UK called the Carry On Films. They actually starred, um, I mentioned uh, Round the Horn before, Kenneth Williams, who was in uh, there. But there's 30, 30 movies, incredibly popular. They're so of their time, they're made in the 50s and 60s, and then into the 70s, and they're full of innuendo. They're like a movie form of the saucy seaside postcard. And they are, are all like innuendos and, and, and very British comedy. They died in the 70s, 
for various reasons, but one of which is the law and, and what you could censorship laws and what have you, there was no point in joking and nudging and winking about the possibility of a very busty woman's um, bra, uh, a bra or bikini top coming undone because you can now show that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually, so that is a classic case of like the carry on films are really like a classic example of the hidden messages and hidden meaning in jokes. Like when he actually says, that's a nice pair. He's not really talking about the fruit. He's mm-hmm. talking about her breasts. You right. don't need to do that anymore because we now in a, we live in a world where people say anything and movies can show anything. And we have full frontal nudity in movies. And you can say the C word and the F word on TV. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's no need for hidden meaning. It's all, it's all out there. Were you a fan of that series? Yeah, great films. It's, it's funny because you went back to them. a world where innuendo is still... Fully in function. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, your yeah. humor that you do yeah, yeah. when you're performing for religious Jewish audiences. Yes, the hint and wink. Lots yeah. of lots of that. Yeah. You, you found the place where exactly. it still works. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think we understand this. But then again, perhaps it was all just written in code and we don't exactly. know anything from what uh, Leo was, Strauss was saying. It was saying. really just by those genes. That's all he's talking about. It's all it Buy was. those jeans. You, but if you play this backwards, yeah. If you if you take my voice reading Leo uh, and then just play it backwards, it is just saying buy jeans, buy denim jeans, buy. <laughs> and it's a with a wink and a nod, yeah. like you know what that means. Yeah. The innuendo, buy the yeah. buy those jeans. Um. All right. Cool. Well, do you feel you got something out of this? Uh, a lot. Yeah, for sure. Are you going to obsessively become a philosopher? I don't know at the moment. Not yet. No. How long does it take to kick in? I, you know what? No, no time at all. I just like it and then I'm, I'm there. Okay. So no, if I it's invited- not a slow burn. It's not a slow burn thing. It's like, I just like, yeah, I just hit, I'll hear it and then go, ah, I'm now obsessed about this. Yeah. If I invited you back to do another one of these tomorrow and then the next day. And the next day, would you become a philosopher? I think I'd have to find the philosopher that really spoke to me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, keep looking. Yeah. He's out there. Or she. Yeah. And uh, thank you very much for coming in and doing it's this. It's a pleasure. I know it's late at night. I know yeah. we're working hard at, at yep. this festival doing our shows. Yeah. yeah. Um, this won't come out till after the festival, but how can, how can people find you? Uh, so my name is Ashley Blaker, and you can Google me. But you know what? It shows you kind of how pretty unique I am. If you forgot my name and didn't just do that hit, uh, go back 15 seconds to check my name. Um, if you Googled the word Orthodox Jewish comedian, which I have tried this, I think I was 15 of the first 16 hits. Oh, wow. Like literally, I'm the first 10. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's so yeah. So, um, but I've got a website, actuallyblaker.com. And, uh, yeah, I'll be back in uh, America shortly. And, uh, yeah, so I hope um, doing both for shows for Jews and uh, for Gentiles in America. So, yeah. I, Are I, those separate shows? Yeah. Because you don't want to be a servant exactly, of two masters. the two masters, exactly. Yeah. Can, can a non-Jew sneak into a Jew show? Or a yeah, Jew, I'm going to do, Jew? yeah, no, yeah, but I'm going to do, I want to do a show called um, Ashley Blaker. Well, I think I'm going to do a show called Ashley Blaker Goy Friendly. That's the name of the show. So, yeah. So. All right, cool. I'll look forward yeah. to seeing it. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Dan.
All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. That's our show for today. Thank you to Ashley Blaker, who is playing currently on Off-Broadway. Is he playing on Off-Broadway? He is playing on Off-Broadway with that show that he mentioned that he was going to do called Goy Friendly. And you can go see it. Jump on a plane if you're not in New York and get yourself to the Soho Playhouse. All right. Check out my buddy Ashley Blaker. Funny dude. Very different. Very interesting, very uh, unique, original, and funny. All right, Ashley Blaker, Goy Friendly at the Soho Theater. And I think the next one is Sunday, February 23rd at 5 p.m. and then another one at 7.30 p.m. So make sure you check that out. All right, everybody, thanks again for tuning into the show. I've been and continue to be Daniel Lobel, and I'll see you next time with another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. Until then... Go on iTunes, leave five stars and a nice review, and I'll read it on next week's show. Okay, so long, farewell, adios, bye-bye. Talk to you later.